Solomon says he has set eternity in the hearts of men. Something inside each one of us desires, longs for, expects that there's life greater than just in this lifespan that we have here on earth. That in fact there is eternal life that goes way beyond this life. Uh, we're doing a series right now uh, called Eternity. And today we're going to camp on a subject on Jesus as King and Judge. Jesus as King and Judge. And what does it mean for Jesus being King and Judge uh, in an eternal sense? And then also what does that mean for us today? When I was a kid, uh, I remember being in the church car park when they were just regrading the roads uh, into our, our car park and there were these big dirt mounds that had been placed on the side and as we explored we realized there's these dirt clots that were within the dirt mound. When we threw those dirt clots and they hit the ground they exploded and that quickly turned into a game of king of the castle and throwing these dirt clots towards one mound to the other uh, with uh, our friends. Now I was throwing one of the dirt clots and it happened uh, that it was heading directly towards my brother Josh and everything went to slow motion. I couldn't stop it. It was about to hit him and it hit him square in the forehead and it didn't explode. I'm really sorry, Josh. Uh, when it hit his head, it fell to the ground and I quickly went over to inspect, firstly, to find out why it didn't explode and I realized it's because it was a rock covered with mud and it hit him square in the head. Secondly, I realized Josh is in a lot of pain Oh no, I'm in a lot of trouble. That game of king of the castle, all of a sudden I realized it was just a game. I'm not really the king of the castle. And in fact, there was a greater authority that I'm about to go and meet my dad and that I would be in a lot of trouble for having hurt my brother, Josh. And I have a lot of, a lot of explaining to do. Do you know, for each one of us, uh, it's very easy for us to play that game, king of the castle. We have our own castle sometimes and uh, we don't want to see beyond just the now. But I want to encourage you, there is a greater authority and uh, Jesus, who we are going to look at as king and judge, sometimes we may not even venture to think of him in this particular way. We don't really understand that a king uh, in their full authority has the right to ask you, to steward well his things. We think of Jesus rather in terms of uh, a loving man of God, somebody who led the way as a servant and called others into service. We think of him of somebody who spent time with the poor, who was merciful, who was compassionate, one who was with the outcasts and the sinners, one who was forgiving. We don't tend to think of him as a king who reigns. Uh, we don't tend to think of him necessarily as a judge. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 2, the author of this book says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction and about cleansing rites, cleansing rites meaning baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and listen to this finally, and eternal judgment. He says these are all elementary teachings. In fact, prior to 
stating these as elementary teachings. He says, you should be teachers by now, but instead you've let go of some of the basics and it's as though we have to go back to the beginning in order to help you get those foundations again. This is the milk of uh, teaching. This is the ABCs. This is going back to kindergarten or primary school. These are our foundations. And I wonder whether we actually have eternal judgment uh, and even resurrection of the dead as something that would be some of our foundations. Eternal, the word here that is used in the Greek is, uh, if I can pronounce it correctly, aeonius. Aeonius. Uh, Aeon means age. Aeonius means uh, for all the, uh, sorry, the culmination of the ages. It's uh, another way to say it is it's unending or for all time or the age of all ages. Judgment, uh, the word there used in the Greek is krima. And it simply means decision, evaluation, verdict. It has a legal connotation, uh, even a punishment connotation that this judgment is final. So we could, we could actually read it this way, that the elementary teaching is about judgment that is final for all ages. Judgment that is final for all ages. It is the essential to, to build upon. And so what is this judgment? When we look at Jesus, he opens up the scroll in Isaiah in his own hometown in Nazareth. And he chose to read from a particular chapter, chapter 61, which in fact we've uh, used quite a few times this year. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And he goes on to say how he's been anointed to bring the good news to the poor. He's been anointed to bring sight to the blind. And he, and he describes all the different things that the gospel is about to present. It's good news. And then he closes it by saying, for it is the year of the Lord's favor. And he closes the scroll and packs it away. Now, the reason why this is important is, he, firstly, he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, by saying that, he further goes on to say, today, this scripture, notice he says today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he has been given the anointing to fulfill this scripture and has started today. Just by the word year, we are to understand that it has a beginning and an end. For Jesus to say that it is today is to say that yesterday it was not being fulfilled. And so here he says, the year of the Lord's favor is being fulfilled by God's anointed, which is Jesus himself. But the interesting thing is that he actually closes the scroll mid-sentence. He doesn't finish the prophecy. If we go back to chapter 61 and we read from verse 2, we find that, he, uh, that the prophet Isaiah says, uh, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God. He has been anointed both to be king, both to be the one who saves, but also the one who judges. He has been anointed for both of those things. But here Jesus opens or inaugurates his ministry by saying the very first part of this happens today. Later on, Jesus, he understands himself to be the judge, the one who is part of this second part of the, the prophecy. We find in John chapter 5, verse 29, Jesus says, And he has given him, speaking of 
God his Father, he has given him authority to judge because he, being Jesus, is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who hear, sorry, all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Verse 29. And come out, uh, those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Here Jesus acknowledges that he has been placed from God, the appointed judge at the end of time. And this is not just Jesus's idea. In fact, he mentions this several times. But later on, we find the early church also spoke of Jesus as being one who was appointed as judge to bring to account the living and the dead, to bring to account those who did good and also those who were for evil. He has been appointed as judge. I want to take you to 2 Peter, uh, where Peter writes in his second letter in chapter 3 uh, that people at the last day will scoff of Jesus coming again. They'll say, where is his coming? Everything is the same as it's always been. Nothing has changed. They, he goes on to say that they will deliberately forget. What will, what will they deliberately forget? Well, if, as we read on, he says they'll deliber- deliberately forget that God uh, in his time had also brought a judgment years gone by with a flood over the earth. He had brought about judgment across the entire earth and only a few were saved. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, by reference to what he's just talked about, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So in answer to the scoffers, Jesus' return as king and judge, he reminds them that God holds two things in tension. One is Jesus uh, as the king, but also as judge. But then also we could say his salvation or his mercy, his nature for mercy, and then also his nature for justice. He holds those two things in tension. In fact, when Jesus... uh, comes on earth, he, he actually brings both those tensions together. It's not lost at all, God's mercy, nor his justice. In fact, God's justice is placed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus, so that when he uh, is crucified on the cross, we could have mercy that God's judgment had already been placed on his son. If you were to drop one element of God's nature, his mercy or his justice, then you have to rewrite scripture and reinterpret it so much so that you'd have to throw out most of the scripture and you would not be able to deal with the different nature as it is. Jesus took on the judgment of God so that we could receive the full mercy of God for those who have faith in Jesus as our salvation. For those who do not receive God's Son, uh, who is there to save them? from the nature of God's judgment and wrath, if not Jesus. Who else can they look to? They can't look to any other religious leader. What can be said of those who reject God's choice of salvation, his son Jesus? The wrath of God still remains on them. For those who do receive Jesus as king and judge, 
and do so uh, with eternity in mind. Peter goes on to say in verse 14, as a reference to these things, he, he says, so then, and so, when he says so then, he's referring to Jesus returning, uh, his judgment, and then also a new earth and new heaven that follows. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, that is Jesus' return, the new creation, the judgment that comes as part of all of this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So why does it matter about eternity that Jesus is judge? Peter just outlays it here. It matters because today, he says, so then, make sure that you're found to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. In other words, walk in the spirit. Walk in grace and truth. Paul uses similar language, and if you were to read this on its own, you may question, what does he actually mean by this? But in the context that we're talking about, you may understand it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So really what he's saying is, uh, be conscious that your salvation has been purchased with a cost, that judgment is coming on the earth, that you don't want to be found as one who, is, who has no reference to Jesus' salvation that he's given you. You don't want to come into eternity with nothing to show your Savior. Jesus calls us to continually have eternity in our thinking. After talking about those who will perish um, as one in the fire, in Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 49, Jesus says, Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt amongst yourselves and be at peace with each other. Everyone will be salted with fire. What does he mean by that? It's a way of saying uh, that they'll have a taste of the judgment to come. They'll have a healthy fear of the judgment to come. Salt being just a taste of, uh, it elevates the flavor of Jesus' return. If we lose that in us, who can make it salty again? He calls us to have saltiness amongst us, where we uh, respond in the way that we live for Him with fear and trembling, according to who he is king and judge. If we are no longer salty, we do not have eternity in our sights and we become laxed uh, on stewarding well the things that he's given us. A healthy fear of God remembers that each one of us will have to give an account before our king and also our judge. Uh, John Bevere tells a story in his book, Driven by Eternity. He says that there was a very popular uh, preacher and pastor of a church in, in the U.S. that fell morally. And uh, this was a man from the outside. Everything looked very successful. He had a growing church. He was passionate. He loved Jesus. Uh, he taught um, very well. People really respected him. And then all of a sudden he fell due to immorality. Later on, as this uh, pastor was... Um, being, I guess he was on his road to recovery. Uh, he didn't go back into the pastorate. Uh, he was uh, concentrating on uh, just being a, a normal, I guess, b believer, uh, if, if there is such a thing uh, in the sense of just walking with Jesus. 
And John Bavie had the opportunity to do an interview with him and he asked him the question as part of that interview, what led you down this track? Uh, can you help me to understand what was going on for you? And this pastor, he, uh, he paused and he said, John, he said, I know that I, I love Jesus, but the thing that was missing was I didn't fear Jesus. Then he went on to say, there's many today who love Jesus. And John Bevere says, there's many who love Jesus, but there's not many who fear him. There's not many who understand a healthy fear of Jesus as king and judge. There are many other scriptures that we could look to. Ecclesiastes closes with, above all else, fear God and keep his commandments. We, we are instructed again and again to have a healthy fear of Jesus as king and judge. Yes, he's your friend. Yes, he's your salvation. Yes, he's your king. But he's also your judge. He's also your king. John wrote down Jesus' words uh, in Revelation to seven of the churches. And you might even be surprised and perhaps don't even want to hear what Jesus said to some of the churches because it might even be so outside of your uh, realm of thinking that you don't know what to do with it. But listen to this. He says, You have forsaken your first love to one of the churches. So then repent, or I will remove your lampstand. That's a big statement. He goes on to say to another church that they had entertained false teaching. And he says, repent, or you will be disciplined. To another church, you tolerated sexual immorality. Repent, or repay, he will repay them for each of their deeds that have been done. He says to another church, you have a reputation for being alive, but in fact you are dead. And uh, he says then, repent and complete the deeds that you had started at first, or uh, he will return, Jesus will return with them not being ready. To another church, he says, you are lukewarm. You've become rich with wealth, and yet uh, you have little need for the Spirit. And he says, repent, or uh, you will show up, uh, I will show up at a time where you are naked without your white robes to cover you. All of these churches were called into a, co a commendation for things that they had done that were uh, elevated by and led by the Spirit. But then there were other things that they had let go of that Jesus calls them back to. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I am the King. I'm also the Judge. You'll have to give an account to me at the end of time. Here's the thing. Jesus received the full weight of God's justice on the cross. If we reject Jesus as the king and as judge, the wrath of God has, it still remains because we have not taken a hold of God's judgment on his son, Jesus, which is for us. He has appointed one man to be king, one man to be judge, Jesus. And he has appointed one man to be saviour and Lord. It's his son, Jesus. And to prove that God was uh, at work in Jesus, he raises him from the dead. And he proves that everything that Jesus said and did, uh, even dying on behalf of mankind for their sin, for all who believe, that it was done totally in the power of the Spirit, in God's uh, will 
and that he approves of everything that Jesus did. He is the king and the judge. At the end of the age to come, when the millennium has finished, Jesus will take up his place on the, the, what they call the great white throne. He'll open the books of life. And all those who are not written in the book of life will be cast out. We're going to talk more about that next week. So stay tuned if you want to find out what that's about. But they'll be cast out, all those who are not in the book of life. But for everyone who is found in the book of life, they will be brought into the new heaven and the new earth. Every one of us will be brought to account before Jesus, both as king and as judge. And so I want to pray for you that, uh, that you would actually find yourself becoming aware of, are you living according to being the king of your own castle? Or are you living with eyes set on eternity, where your framework has changed because you realize everything you do is a call to be led by the Spirit. It's a call to be led in such a way where God is glorified. Your glory or the, the things that God has for you is to come. It's in eternity. But today He's calling you to serve Him with all your heart, to serve Him as King and Judge. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for our church. I thank you, Lord God, for a heart to serve you. And I just lift up and commit every single household, every single person, adults, children. Lord God, would you lead them to be uh, those who lay up their, their crown, their kingdom, their castle, and they take up your kingdom. They find themselves listening and being led by your spirit that they would have a heart for and a sight for eternity to come, knowing that what they do today has an account with you tomorrow.